0: The book of Jonah actually ends like this. Should I, it's, it ends with that last question. Should I not, uh, can, Who can't tell the right from the left, should I not be concerned about this? And it ends with a question mark. There's no resolution. We don't know how Jonah answered this. All we know is Jonah was sitting on this hill east of the city, royally ticked off. There is no resolution. How many of you have ever seen the movie of Inception? No resolution, right? The top spins. Does it stop? Let's take a poll. For those of you who've seen the movie, does the 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 top wobbles? The top is how he figures out whether he's in a dream or not. And we're left at the end of this going, is this a dream or not? And you walk out like on this cliffhanger. I hate cliffhanger movies. I want to know how they end. Jonah ends on a cliffhanger. We don't know what Jonah does given the pattern that Jonah has of being a, a not-so-smart guy, a kind of a selfish little whiny dude, we don't <laughs> we don't know what he does. We don't know how he reacts. Jonah, as we've spent the last four weeks through it, it's not a children's story. Sure, the first part of it is, but then once you start talking about vomit and Uh, spiritual apathy and hate and some some racism all mixed up there, you start to wonder, how am I going to explain this to a three-year-old? There's a lot of stuff in Jonah that we don't necessarily see because we think it's about a fish. It's not. Jonah's about Jonah. It's a story about Jonah, which is a story about Israel, which is really a story about us. And as we get to this last chapter, it's a story about our anger. We have some anger issues. Jonah has some anger issues. Our culture has some anger issues. And we don't like to admit it, but it's there. It's this low-grade anger that we're all stuck with. Jonah's this last chapter, answers this question of what we are supposed to do with our anger. And Jonah doesn't really tell us what to do. It leaves us with that question. What are we going to do with the anger? What do we do when someone we're angry with actually repents and comes back and not just to us, but God starts having grace on this person? What do we do when God's grace actually reaches our enemies? God says, or Jesus says in Matthew, I caused the rain to fall on the evil and I caused the rain to fall on the good. I caused the rain, basically, and it falls wherever it goes. And so we have this tension what, and then we're stuck with this question, what do we do with anger? What We say things like this when we think about forgiveness. We say, yeah, but do we know what they did? Because usually the antidote to anger is forgiveness. Well, do we know what they did to me? I can never forgive them. I'm still angry about this. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be fine with them once I show them how much they hurt me. And then we'll be okay with it. Then our anger settles. Today, I want to look at three items that happen in this, in this text, three observations. We're going to see Jonah's response to anger. This whole thing has been a response to his anger towards the Ninevites and what the Ninevites did to him and how he's angry ticked, fill in the blank, about why God is having grace on them. And we're going to look at God's response. What does God do to Jonah? And then we're going to find ourselves in the text and we're going to talk about forgiveness. How do we learn to forgive? Because forgiveness is not something you can turn on and turn off. It's a process that takes a long time. And I know once I say the word forgiveness, we instantly start seeing that face of the person that's hurt us, and we shut down. But today I'm going to ask you to stay open a little bit longer. Because I think this anger thing is a problem that is in the deep-seated in most of our hearts, and it's robbing us of joy. Okay? So let's look at Jonah's response. Let's begin with him. Let's back up a little bit. Remember what happened in chapter 3. Jonah comes to Nineveh, does the worst job as a preacher ever. He says a five-word sermon. I wish I can get that good. He walks in. Five words in Hebrew. It's like eight or nine in English because we like to add words. But he he says five words. Forty days, Nineveh's going to be done. In Hebrew, it's a lot shorter. But he says, in 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overturned. The word overturned means uh, not necessarily taken over. You're going to be shook up. Forty days, and it's going to happen. And then in verse 10... Or verse 9, they actually repented, and God relented from his judgment. God repented is the way to say that. He said, I'm not going to do that to them. They repented. They put on. Even the cows repented, which is awesome. Uh, Then, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, this is verse 10, he had compassion on them and saved them from the destruction that he had threatened. So, Jonah the most successful prophet in Israel's history. His message worked. The entire capital of Assyria repents. And Jonah, you think he'd be out there high-fiving angels like whatever you do, he did the good job. He's doing a victory lap around the city. No, Jonah's mad. He did not want them to repent. And so verse four or chapter four, verse one, Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he was displeased, and he became angry. Do you see the progression? This bothers me, and I'm going to stew on this, and when that thing bothers you enough, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, he became angry. Classic Jonah, right? If you know anything from the story that we've been looking at, Jonah, once you think he's going to make a turn for the better, turns again for the worse. You're like, Jonah, you were this close, and then you totally did not redeem yourself. And he says in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord Isn't this what I said when I was still at home? The fact is, no. Go back in Jonah chapter one. We don't know why Jonah went to Tarshish. All we know is that he wanted to avoid something and he left. He wanted to avoid this place of Nineveh. So he bolts. We don't know why back then. It finally comes out in the end. This is why. And here it is. This is what I tried to forestall. Uh, This is why I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious an incompassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. This should sound familiar if you've read through Exodus or any of the other prophets. This verse about God being compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in grace, all that comes from Exodus thirty four. This is the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. This is how God defines Himself to the people of Israel. They, they had, when the first time, it's Exodus 34, they had just made the golden calf. They just screwed up that way. And Moses goes up and convinces God not to destroy Israel and start over with just Moses. And then when God actually backs off from the destruction, he says this about himself. He says, I am a God. I am the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. And this is what defined God going forward. Jonah knows this. And because Jonah knows this, he looks at the Ninevites and goes, I know why you're going to be gracious to them, and that even makes me more mad. Jonah's throwing God's words back into his face, but the problem is these words that God said to the Israelites in Exodus are the only reason Jonah's able to stand on his two feet. The only reason there is because of the grace that he offered the Israelites, which gave birth to Jonah hundreds of years later. And so he throws it back into God's face, which totally makes sense. Because if you were to think about things that make you angry about God, grace, faithfulness, compassionate, those things go to the top of the list, right? Aren't you thrilled? Aren't you upset that God is so kind? I am. Aren't you upset that God is gracious? No, this is the funny part in Jonah. Remember, Jonah's supposed to be a satirical look about everything that's happening. Jonah's mad at the stupidest thing. And it says that in the Hebrew, stupid. Don't be mad about this. This is not something, but Jonah's fried up about this. He doesn't like that God is having grace on the Ninevites. And then he's so mad, he wants to die. Have any of you ever been that mad? No? Good. That's real mad. And then the Lord replied, Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry? Not just mad, but suicidally mad. And then something's happening here. Jonah finds himself in this place where Nineveh represents the whole country of Assyria. And so if you look at what Assyria did, especially to the Jewish people, it makes sense why Jonah's so mad. Assyria was led by a name, a guy named Ashurbanipal. You always want to say that one? I know you do. Ashurbanipal. It's a great name. I think his last name might have been Smith or Jones, but Ashurbanipal. He was the ruler of Assyria, and there was a whole line. Ashurbanipal is just one of many, and he was terrible. The Assyrians were were terrible. The Assyrians ruled this area. They were the biggest empire ever. No empire has matched their size, and they reigned for the longest time. No empire since Assyria has reigned for that much time, 2300 BC to 600 BC. That's almost 2,000 years, and no one has come close to matching the length of their reign. Here's how they did it. Unbelievable cruelty. If anybody stood up and made a revolt, they would squash it. And this is where Asher Banner Paul comes in. And he was brutal. And so he said, there's one of his writings, and he goes, uh, I went and I squashed this revolt. And all of the people who were guilty, I filleted them and hung their skin from the, the gates of the city. That's gross, right? There's a whole bunch of other stuff that he did that's even grosser. This is what Ashurbanipal was known for. This is what Assyria was known for. Assyria would do with their hands what we do with nuclear weapons. They would divert rivers into the town to flood everything out if they didn't go along with it or if their revolt wasn't stopped. They would also go and put salt and litter the entire field where they grow their crops with salt and thistles so things would never grow there again. And they did this all in order to squash the revolt that was happening. This is why Assyria was so brutal. They would maim you, they would kill you, they would poke out your eyes and make you walk with no arms for the rest of your life if you stood up against them. This is Assyria. This is what Jonah's looking at and saying, God, you want to have grace on them? This makes no sense. What they did to other nations doesn't compare with what they did to the Jews. Uh, Instead of just brutally killing all of them. They did something worse than them. They, they invaded the northern kingdom of, of, of Israel. They split into two. There was Israel and, and Judah. They invaded the northern kingdom of Israel. And then instead of shipping some of them off or doing their normal thing, they said, we're going to force you Jews to marry Assyrians and have kids. This was blasphemy to the Jewish people because they had this uh, ethnic purity that they took from scriptures and this wasn't supposed to happen. And so essentially what Ashurbanipal does to the Jews is a genocide that goes on forever. Now they don't have their race anymore. Instead they have what they deemed as half-breeds and they were less people, both to the Assyrians and to the Jews. This is where we get the Samaritan people that come in in the New Testament when Jesus talks about the Samaritan woman or the good Samaritan, they were always people that were looked down upon. What Ashurbanipal did was essentially genocide. He wiped out their entire people. This is why Jonah is so mad. The Jews hated the Assyrians. And yet here is God, and he's going to have grace on them. It makes sense why Jonah would be mad. You'd be mad too. I would be. And yet what, God, what does God do? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to go to the heart of everything you hate. I want you to go to that place that makes you so angry. And I want you to tell them to repent because I love them. And he goes, we don't want that. And he says this, he says, give them 40 days. Now, 40 days, numbers in the scriptures mean something. You have 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples. We have six days of creation. You have seven days, which is the number of perfection. And then you have 40, which is shorthand for a very, very, very long time. And so he goes, 40 days. Give them 40 days notice that I'm going to destroy them. And if you're Jonah, you're like, no, 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 no. How about eight seconds? Give them eight seconds before he destroyed them. Don't give them this time. And so Jonah goes through 40 days, which is a real long time. And you're going to have a chance to repent. So God not only gives them a chance to come back, God says, I'm going to give you time to make your decision. God, even in the judgment, is being gracious. And Jonah hates it. And then he goes to the side of the hill and watches. Little, He already knows what happened. They repented. They came back. And he goes to the side of the hill saying, maybe their repentance won't stick. And I'm going to watch them burn. Maybe they repent of their repentance, in other words. And I'm going to watch them go. And so Jonah is ticked off, sitting on the side of the hill. And in verse 5 of chapter 4, he says, Jonah had gone out and sat east of the city, made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen. He got his popcorn ready, because this is going to be great. Jonah is, is having a three-year-old temper tantrum. I see this every day. Judah, he's my little Jonah. He, uh, he say, Judah, I need you to do this. No. And he does this. Like, what, where did that come from? Hum. And runs away. No. Hum. This is what Jonah's doing. No. Hum. I don't want you to have grace on them. Hum. No. No. You need to destroy them. Do what the United States does. Give them 24 hours and actually call it at 8 and and send the bombs. I don't want this. (laughs) This is Jonah. Have any of you ever been like this? Jonah has a point. Haven't we all been sitting at the the hill across from someone that has just royally hacked us off and we've looked at them and said, I don't want God to do anything good for them ever again. We've been there. That one person that did this, no grace for them. You're like the soup guy on Seinfeld. No grace for you. You don't get grace. You don't get good things. You don't get a second chance. You don't get a third chance. You are, if you watch Shark Tank, you are dead to me. This is what you are. No deal for you. We've all been there. I have that face in my head where I've had that person. I have a couple of them. We'll talk about them later. You have that face in your head of someone who's hurt you. And it's hard not to think of them and not start having that displeasure come into your heart. And then like Jonah, you're displeased with them. They bothered you. And then you stew on a little bit more. Maybe you're doing that now. And then if you stew on it long enough, it boils into outright anger. We've been there. This is Jonah's response. Jonah's response is the same as you and I. Jonah is a mirror that's held up to us, and we're laughing and laughing at Jonah. And, like, Jonah, you moron, come on. And then we realize, oh, that's a mirror, and that's you and I. We're angry people. Uh, you see it at every stoplight if you wait just a little too long. And then a gesture. We see it whenever anyone comes on the news we don't like. We see it in politics. We see it in our family. There is, that person is outright evil and blah, 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 blah. And this is our short fuse in our city and sometimes in our homes and in our hearts. We need to deal with our anger. Now let's look what God does. The Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Does Jonah deserve a plant? No. He doesn't deserve a plant. When, uh, when, when our children act this way, we take away privileges. You don't get your show. You don't get your treat. You don't get your plant. Jo- Judah would go, well, I, don't, I don't like plants. I don't care. But we don't, he doesn't get this anymore. He shouldn't have this. He's ticked and it's understandable. But this plant... For the first time in the entire book, Jonah is happy about something. God is trying to get at Jonah's anger. And he's come at him in this way and says, the first time in verse 4, Jonah, do do you have any right to be angry here? I'm going to go sit on the side of the hill. That's the first time. So God says, okay, you got some anger issues. I'm going to come at this from another angle. I'm going to give you a plant. And that plant's going to grow up. And Jonah is so pleased about this plant. And then God does something, and, and then the plant goes away. But this is the first time Jonah's ecstatic. And then the next day, God provides a worm. And it chews the plant so that it withered When the sun rose, God provided a scorching wind from the east and it blazed on Jonah's head and he grew faint and he wanted to die. Jonah is a drama king. He has the biggest mood swings, doesn't he? So happy, I want to die. This is what the book of Jonah does. There's a great storm, there's a great fish, it's a huge city, it's a very happy, 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 I want to die. This is the big, the, the extremes that this, is, that, that this book tells us to. And then watch what God does. He says, maybe that this time, maybe the plant will soften Jonah's heart a little bit. But God said, is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it is. I want to be angry about this plant. Jonah's angry about everything. He's a hammer and everything's a nail. And I'm so angry that I wish, I wish I were dead. However, just like God spared Nineveh when they didn't deserve it, he cares for Jonah when he doesn't deserve it. He's committed to seeing Jonah make this turn, this turn in his life. I, I, we look at this story, we look at the book of Jonah, and everyone focuses on the fish, but I think there's something to do with that plant of Jonah's and this worm that Jonah has. Yes, God's trying to get at Jonah a different way and have him address his anger and his bitterness, but there's something we, that, that I overlooked until later this week, and I was like, oh, what about that worm? I think the plant shows something for us. The plant shows life. This is the life that protects us. This is the life of, of God's goodness, God's grace, and that, that little worm that eats everything is our anger. Just like that worm ate away the goodness and the life that God wanted for Jonah, the comfort and ease that God wanted for Jonah, that worm is anger in our hearts, and that anger can rob you of the life that you're supposed to have. Because when we're angry, we just stew, and all of our energy gets focused on this anger. I'm so mad, I need to make things these things right, I need to have my revenge, I need to have my say. There's this story in, in Judges 16, the story of Samson, and he is big on revenge. If you were as big and strong as Samson, you'd be big on revenge too. And there's this one part where he picks up this jawbone and just starts killing people for revenge. Anger leads to revenge, and revenge does nothing but escalate. And pretty soon all of us are like Jonah, we're hammers looking for nails or we're like Samson holding this jawbone, swinging it around for every, anything to hit. And it robs us of our lives because every thought is given to anger. If not every thought, almost every thought. When you're getting the quiet part of your life, the quiet part of your house and you think this person pops up. And what they said to you pops up, how they made you feel pops up. Everything comes in, and then you start stewing, and now your energy is devoted to something else. This is what anger does to us. And God says, Jonah, how do you care about this plant? It it wasn't around long enough for you to get emotionally tied to it, it was there for a night, but okay. Uh, You didn't plant this seed, you didn't give it air and water for it to grow, you didn't do this, Jonah. And how are you so mad about this? You have no right to be angry. Jonah, come on, snap out of it. And then God comes at him a third time. And and then he starts telling him about these people of Nineveh. Shouldn't I have concern for this great city of Nineveh? In in verse 11, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, that's me sometimes, and also many animals. The end. God cares about these people who are lost and misguided. And he not only cares about them, he cares about their pets. He cares about their chickens and their cows, not the cats. (laughs) He cares about their dogs. He cares about what they care about. You see that? He cares about what they care about. Even though they were a brutal and oppressive people, God is trying to show Jonah that he doesn't work in the same way that you and I work when it comes to karma. Karma says, you do this, you get that. You rob somebody, you go to jail. You murder somebody, then you go to jail for the rest of your life when you get caught. You hurt me, I hurt you. This is what karma says, and this is how our world works. God's saying, that's the no deal for me. I don't work like that. I'm going to have compassion on these people. Why? Because they're misguided. Why? Because they're made in my image. Why? Because I'm God and this is who I am. That person that you're so angry at that you can die, it sucks when you hear that God cares for them too, right? It's hard. It's hard. God cares for those people just as much as he cares for you. That organization that hurts you, you're not mad at an organization, you're mad at a person within the organization, and that person is cared for just as much as you are by God. And that hurts, because we don't want that. Our culture's has fallen into this idea that, uh, that if you hurt me, I'm not going to forgive you. Or we've diluted forgiveness to say, if you hurt me, the way I'm going to forgive you is I want to see you bleed. I want to see you in just as much pain as, as you caused me. I'm going, and so we clap back or, or we applaud when someone shuts someone down on Twitter or they respond in the news. And, and when they have this story that totally embarrasses them, we go, yeah, that's what you deserve. Yeah, you, you get that. I don't don't want everything to be right. I don't want restoration. I want you to never be able to breathe again. I don't want you to have a job. I don't want you to have this. We want utter destruction. And I'm in that same boat too. This is how our culture thinks about anger and forgiveness. And it is so present in our world and it's robbing us. The story of Jonah is a story about a people group and a person that didn't know what to do with their anger. And it almost took their lives for them. So here's my story. There was a guy. I worked for him. And uh, he did some things. You've been thrown in front of the bus. This one was like a freight train. And I got thrown in front of it. And I got hit by every single car, and this, it was not a good situation. It was not just what, what happened to me. It wasn't just me, it was other people within the organization, and this guy, it was hard. I mean, that's, it was a bad few years of what happened. And over and over again, it's just like, well, well, we'll let it go. But my anger started to stew for this person. And then as it started to get towards the end, I finally said, you know what? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to have my say with this person. I'm going to get in his face, and I'm going to tell him exactly what he did and exactly how it made me feel, and then I'll feel better. That's what I'm going to do. And so I called my friends because I have a hard time making decisions. I called my friends and said, hey, this is what I want to do. Here's what's happened. Here's my case. And I actually had things documented so I could say on September 5th he did this and on October 4th he did this. And I, this is what I'm coming... And my friends would go, yeah, dude, go for it. You have every right to be angry. You have every right to show him who's boss even though he was mine. You have every right to do this because you have altruism and you have justice on your side and yes, go for it. I was like, okay. Tuesday in our meeting, he's going to get it. On Saturday, I call another friend, and he's the same way. Yeah, do it. Or, yeah, you have every right. And he goes, but you can't do it. It's not good for you to do this. What good is it going to be to tell this person off? Nothing. In fact, when you tell this person off, you're going to burn every single bridge around you, and you're going to be more miserable than you are now if you go ahead with this and i didn't want him to be right but he was so what did i have to learn to do forgive and forgiveness is hard so here's what i learned about forgiveness forgiveness is doesn't always feel good forgiveness is when you lose a lot you lose a lot of pride you lose a lot of sleep you lose. Sometimes you lose money. You lose a lot initially, and I'm still learning this about forgiveness. There's another lesson about forgiveness. I had to learn that forgiveness was not a feeling; it's an action. Forgiveness is an action. It's in the word "forgive." It's not "for take." It's forgive. You are giving somebody freedom. But the reality is, when you give someone freedom, the freedom you're giving, the old adage is you're actually letting yourself off the hook. Forgiving, giving is, it, it, it's a gift. It's a gift we don't deserve. Forgiveness is something that's rarely asked for. But then you learn this. Once you forgive, you're free. It's impossible to see it on the front side. I sat after that phone call in my car, and I sat there and thought, this this is going to be awful. He doesn't get to know how bad he made me feel. I have to forgive him. It doesn't look fun from the front side, but on the far side, you become lighter. Before forgiveness, so much energy is dedicated to revenge, and it just it grows and it grows and it's tempting. We don't want to forgive, we want revenge because it's entertaining. We applaud revenge. Our movies are all based on revenge. John Wick is an entire, entire movie series devoted to a person who killed his dog. And he goes out and gets revenge and revenge. And it's four movies later and the story's old. But revenge escalates and escalates and anger escalates. And the back and forth, it destroys. It's exhausting because all of the effort you have is being taken to being right. Right? However, something happens when we forgive, when we learn to forgive, our energy is used for the better. And so as we look at Jonah, the question comes to us, who's that face that at the beginning when I talked about forgiveness and anger, who's that face or that name that popped in your mind that you need to learn how to forgive? Here's something to to take in mind as, as as we begin to close. Forgive. When we forgive somebody, there's some things that forgiveness is and forgiveness isn't. And we've muddied the water so we don't even know how to forgive. But here's some things. Forgive. To forgive somebody isn't to condone what they've done to you. We think that if I forgive them, it's just going to give them right to do whatever they want because they're not going to feel pain. They're not going to feel punished anymore. And so that's why we don't forgive. But... To forgive doesn't mean to condone. Forgiveness sets someone free in the depths of your heart and you resolve to live free from the bitterness and hate and revenge, but it doesn't mean that what they did was right. You can forgive somebody and that person can still be in the wrong. You've just set them free from yourself. Forgiveness doesn't always mean forgetting is the next thing. Just because you forgive, we always hear forgive and forget, forgive and forget. No. Sometimes you've forgiven this person 18 times and they keep doing the same thing. So sometimes forgiving means that you remember and you forgive them. And then we do what some of us are really bad at we establish a boundary. This person, I'm going to forgive them, but they're not going to abuse, hurt, or manipulate me again. Sometimes you can forgive, set a boundary. And never be a friend to this person again. Because you're not going to let them in. Especially in abusive relationships. Friendships, marriages, any kind of relationship that's abusive. You can forgive and move to safety. You don't have to stay in that relationship. Because, well, I'm told to forgive and forget. No, 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 no. Forgive and remember. And establish something. Let them off the hook of your revenge. Stop being angry about it. Begin to work through your anger. But set up a boundary. Protect yourself. Forgiveness doesn't always mean to reconcile. It takes two to reconcile. And forgiving a person doesn't always mean you're going to get back together. Sometimes forgiveness means, I've forgiven you, our relationship is going to be vastly different. I saw this in my house. My dad was a businessman. He was a construction guy. And in this, his business, uh, there was a lot of people that it was a competitive market in, in our area. And there was one guy who would come in after my dad would bid a job and totally submarine everything my dad did. And it ruined jobs for him. And this, this guy just had a beef with their construction. And so finally, dad put two and two together at who this guy was. And it was supposedly one of his friends. And I was working for him at the time. And he goes, I just found out what's been happening. So-and-so has been doing this. And so dad said, dad was mad for a while. And, and then he said, I got to have a conversation with him. And he went and had a conversation. And then he said, you know what? We can't be us anymore. Can't, I, 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 I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to be angry towards you. What you did was in the past. We've talked about it. But we're not longer business partners. We're not going to reconcile this relationship. We're off the hook. Anger ceased, but there's a wall there. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that you're reconciled. And this last part forgiveness is a process and it is extremely messy. It's a process and it's a slow and painful process, it's baby steps. Often what happens is you've been carrying this baggage of anger for so long and you got, it takes time to get used to not picking that baggage up every day. One day you'll forget it and you feel great, but the next day you come home and, oh, well, i got to pick that up, and now you're angry again. It's a slow baby step process that takes years. We think it's supposed to be 10 minutes, but it's years. It wasn't until probably a couple years ago where I was able to forgive this guy who harmed me eight years ago and finally i could think of him without getting angry i could think of what he did without getting mad i don't curse his existence anymore but it was a process forgiveness is a long process they said something about you and they maybe this person had some you had a ton of respect for them But they did something to hurt you and because you had a ton of respect for them their venom stings a little bit more and you have this in your heart but it takes time for that venom to wear out. It takes time for you to get over it. That's why it's not forgive instantly and you feel better. It's a long process. Sometimes we forgive and we need to learn to let go. We need to unlearn a bunch of behaviors that we've developed along the way and we need to relearn new behaviors and new ways of thinking and that takes a ton of time. I think that's why this story ends on a cliffhanger because Jonah has to learn the same lesson that you and I have to learn. What do we do with this pot of anger? Are we going to hold on to it? and let it seethe within us and let it build and turn us into angry, bitter people who just fly off the handle instantly? Or are we going to learn to let it go? Are we going to learn the process of forgiveness? Are we going to learn what Jesus talks about when he says, you forgive them, not just seven times, but 70 times, 70 times, 70 times, 70 times, 70. Why? Because you've been forgiven. Why? Because I care for them too. Why? Because your life can be so much better if you just let go. If you just learn to forgive them. Now I'm not foolish. I know there's a lot of hurts here and to hear someone say forgive it's kind of like, yeah Brad, you're full of it. I get it. I understand that. It's like telling me who's crippled with anxiety to stop worrying. I understand that. It doesn't really work that way. But today, I hope that we can begin the process of forgiveness. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone in the church. Maybe it's an old pastor. Maybe it's me and we need to have a chat. Uh, it's, maybe it's a neighbor. It's somebody. Who is it that you need to begin the process of forgiving today? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in you we have found forgiveness for the things that we have done. But Lord, it's so hard for us to forgive others from what they've done. And so Lord, we, we, we walk around with these huge lists of things, of, of ways we've been hurt, of people who have hurt us. And we walk around with these lists and they're getting so long and they're tripping our feet and they're ruining our walk and they're ruining our day and they're ruining our lives. And so God, may today we begin the process of letting go. Of dropping our jawbone, of dropping the list on the ground and say, I'm not going to pick that up today. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to learn how to forgive. And little by little, Lord, may we begin to live the life that you have for us. A life of peace and joy. a life that is filled with you who are compassionate and gracious towards everyone. May we enter this because we have been first shown grace. We have been first shown forgiveness. May we offer people the forgiveness that we have been given. Teach us how to forgive. Give us open hearts. Give us teachable spirits. In your name we pray. Would you guys stand with me as well?